0: Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. Today we invite you to tune into our current series Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. Well, good morning. Just a way to help our us connect our passage of scripture that we read this morning in Psalms 124 with some of the context of maybe what David was writing for us there. And kids, I hope that was helpful for you just to kind of connect and think about this. And I want to remind you and encourage you today that you know, children, kids you can trust God. You can trust the Lord. He is He is there for you. And so I want to encourage you this morning, kids, if you haven't got one of those uh, family packs, they're back. You can send a parent out to the um, to the lobby there. There's a pack to get. Get out some some of the kids' notes this morning. Follow along with me. If you'll fill this out after the service and you'll come and see me at the tent, I have something special for you afterwards that I would love to, uh, to give to you and encourage you. Uh, Mom and Dad, if you want to follow along with some notes as well, you can use the Woodside app, and our sermon notes are there uh, for you this morning. Morning or you version uh, as well. That app, those are that's online for you to follow. I don't have a prize for you, uh, but I do for uh, for the kiddos th- today. And so we'll just kind of work through this together and, and be in the Word of God uh, this morning. I'm really glad that you're here and excited to be able to open up uh, the scriptures with you this morning. If you would open up to Psalm 124, that's where we're at today. Our text from God's Word, Psalm 124. And I'd love it if you would stand with me. The words of the scriptures are there on the screen as well. Let me read this for us and pray together today. Psalm 124, a song of ascents of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare has been broken. We have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven... And earth. This is the word of God. Let's give thanks together. Lord, again, we thank you. We come to you this morning in humility, and we thank you that you have spoken, that in you we have nothing to fear. Father, we would pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds and our lives today from your word, that your spirit would take what is yours and he would do work among us to make us more like Christ, to to bring us to Christ, to increase and to establish and strengthen our faith. Help us today, Lord, to trust you more, to look to you even in our greatest fears, to know that you are for us and with us. Pray for your blessing upon your word now. Open our hearts and minds. We're ready. We're listening. And we pray and ask that you would speak. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Well, I don't know if you remember that right around the, uh, the turn of the millennium, like right around Y2K, there was a fascinating trend, and I, and I think it was a hilarious trend uh, as well, about a series of books that came out. They were they were really prominently featured in all of the big box bookstores like Borders, if you remember Borders, and Barnes and Noble, and, and they were uh, on the bestseller tables, they were on the novelty tables, and they were kind of fun books to pick up and buy and give away uh, at Christmas time or just, you know, you needed some sort of fun book to hand off, they were there. These books offered expert advice on difficult situations and hypothetical fears that that may abound in the world. I I don't know if you remember those books, they were the the worst case scenario survival handbooks. Uh, Did anybody have one of those? Anybody get any of those? I am, I am so concerned about this, because uh, I can't be in worst case scenarios with you guys or the people in the first service. Nobody's gonna be ready, okay? I mean, maybe that's why you're here, because I read them, okay? They're, they're there, they offer all sorts of good advice and, and expert tips. Things that we never thought we should be afraid of. They helped us become afraid of them and then figure out how to get through it. Uh, if you wanna go online, Amazon has it for ninety-nine on a Kindle version, uh, now you can pick And Here's some of the things that they were addressing and, and, I, and I, I laugh at these. Uh, first of all, how to land a plane. You know, if you're going to be in that scenario, it's probably a good idea to know how to land a plane. It offered 13 steps for you to be able to figure out how to land a plane, which was probably the the size of the book itself. And so, I'm just going to carry a uh, copy of that around anytime I fly now and just have it ready on hand. Uh, another one was how to survive being buried alive. That means that somebody had to go through the experience of being buried alive and get out to be able to give you expert advice on how to do it. You're like, oh yeah, I was buried and I and I got out alive and. I lived to tell about it. So here's what you should do. Um, another one: how to fight, how to survive a sword fight, because those are common today. I mean, we're just seeing that all the time. Um, how to tell if a clown is murderous? The answer is yes. I <laughs> mean, yes. They can run away. Um, another one: how to remove your own limb? Like we're Lego people, and we just like pop, you know, and like, get that thing off. I, I don't know when I'll need that one, but maybe I will. Uh, last one, just for fun, uh, how, to, how to survive if your parachute fails. And I'll just give you the quick on that. It's like don't jump out of a perfectly good airplane, okay? That's, that's just how you survive there. Um, no, I don't know about you, but, but those scenarios really don't keep me awake uh, at night. Uh, they, they don't keep my mind racing with what am I gonna do if I'm buried alive. Like I just don't think about that ever. Um, and it doesn't keep me awake at night. But there are some scenarios. There are some things that do keep me awake at night. There are some worst case scenarios and fears that happen in my mind and in my heart that that I can lay awake at night and be anxious and worried. Sometimes our fears can overwhelm us and our paranoia set in and our hearts can sink. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, probably within the last six months... Uh, this year, we've had those nights, a night perhaps, or many nights where we've laid awake and the worst case scenarios have been running through our minds. What if this pandemic gets worse? What if my job is lost? What if, what if, what if? And we worry when the circumstances of life are trouble for us. We live in fear when the attacks from others come, when the odds are stacked against us question becomes, how do we handle our fears? How do, we, how do we address our hearts when we're in the midst of or we're mentally projecting the worst case scenarios that could befall us? Well, David, King David, the writer of the psalm, at least that's who it's attributed to here in the inscription, is ready to address our fears. He wants to speak about our fears, and he has to address his own fears. He has to answer worst-case scenarios that are existing in his mind and heart and he has to help us he wants to help us answer our own fears as well we don't have the exact context of when David wrote this the inscription doesn't say David wrote this to us when facing Goliath uh, although that could be uh, a situation which would fit um, but it could have been one of many David David perhaps he's looking back on that fight with Goliath and he's realizing what happened and where God was in that. Or, or perhaps when Saul was attacking him and he was fleeing through wilderness from cave to cave to cave, uh, with his men wondering and, and fearing for his life, perhaps he would lay awake at night and wonder what if it's gonna all drop out. Or perhaps when the Philistines were waging their wars against Israel and David, as the king, was at the front of that and he was just wondering what if this battle goes south? What happens there? Or perhaps the time when his son Absalom rebelled and and sought to depose his father and he betrayed him and he thought, "Is the kingdom lost and my son, who I thought was close, is actually an enemy. There could have been a number of instances in David's life and scenarios that played out in front of him and the fears were real and the fears were great. How did he address those fears? What What did he do? Well, David here taught the people of God to sin. And he taught them, he gave us words, Holy Spirit inspired, God breathed words that we need to learn to sing today to address our own fears. What do we do when we're facing our worst case scenarios? Well, the truth of the scriptures, not just from this psalm, but from the whole of the scriptures, is this, and this is the big idea, kids, if you're following along, is that with God on our side, we have nothing to fear. If God is for us, who can be against us, Paul says in Romans 8. If God is on our side, we have nothing to fear. And that that can be very profound to say. It's really important and true to say. But it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to, to write it on a piece of paper and say, yeah, with God on our side, we have nothing to fear. But it's another thing. It's a very different thing to believe that truth. To rally our hearts and our minds and our lives around that. How do we do that? How do we make sure that my heart keeps believing that with God on my side I have nothing to fear? How do you keep your heart believing and living out of that faith that with God on my side I have nothing to fear? How do we fight our worst case scenario fears, the paranoia, the deep despair, and the anxiety that can come upon our minds and our hearts? Knowing that that statement, or believing that statement, is true. What do we do there? Well, The remedy that the Lord has given to us, with His Word, from His Word, is the community of the church. The one another's that we have, the the community that sits in this room this morning. One another, we are to be a means of helping one another to fight for our faith when our fears are the worst. We are to be a means. The church is built for more. That's the name of the series that we're in right now. Church beyond the weekend. More so than just gathering here on a Sunday morning or showing up and hearing a a good sermon or at least a mediocre sermon and singing some nice songs that make you feel good and then departing and leaving. What was the church built for? What was Jesus' design for us as a community? It was this, that when we face our worst case faith scenarios... We encourage one another to such a degree to remember and to believe that with God on our side, we have nothing to fear. When we have one another, when we're for one another, we can fight our fears together with the community of the church. centered around the gospel, fighting for and encouraging one another's faith. We need each other for this task. So my question is for us, if this is true and we believe it, how do we fight for it? What does that look like? How can the community of the church help us? I believe that this psalm unpacks for us when we are in the beauty of the church, the one anotherness of the church together under spiritual leadership and working together for our faith, fighting our worst case scenarios, three things are activated, three actions come out for us that this psalm teaches us. About how we can fight our faith Or fight for our faith and fight our fears Well together The first one is this that David Brings to bear kids this is number one Is that we are to ponder together The favor of God We are to ponder together The favor of God Go with me to Psalm 124 here in verse 1 Through 5 Imagine there's King David and he's in He's in his own uh, Professional kingdom studio right Just off the throne room there he's got his little wire strung up, and he's plucking some notes, and he's, he's just thinking. He's, he's, he's singing, and he's bringing it along, and, and he remembers the bad times. He's looking back on the past. He remembers how difficult it was. Perhaps he has that scenario when Absalom would rebel against him and betrayed him, and, he, and he's got that in his mind, and he begins to pluck on his strings, and he's picking out a melody and some lyric, and he, and he sings, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. But well, then he stops and he goes, wait, 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 this isn't just about me. This isn't just me and God. Like, this is this is broader. This has more people involved in it. This has a, a larger scope to it. And and so you see the little parentheses there at the end of verse 1. He, he calls out to a few of his servants there. And he says, guys, 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 I can't just sing this alone. This isn't just me. Like It's not just if it wasn't that God was on my side, but if it wasn't the Lord on our side... So let's get the choirs in. In fact, why don't we set up the the stage on the the platform of the palace so we can have the entire nation singing on this. Like, everybody needs to sing this song. It's all of us together. Let Israel now say. And the melody drives out with everybody singing. If it had not been the Lord who is on our side. He points back to the past. Remember that occasion? Remember when the Philistines were just They were at our throats, the wars were big, the battles were harsh, and it was a tipping point. Were we going to be just annihilated? It was the Lord who was on our side. They sing that, they remind each other of that. It was the Lord with us. God's help is not a private experience, as Eugene Peterson says. It's a corporate reality, not an exception that occurs among isolated strangers, but the norm among the people of God. Here's God helping his people. And he he, he reminds them of the past. If it hadn't been the Lord who was with us. Think about how really bad it would be then. I mean, in the next step, in verse 3, he he does take them to the worst case scenario. But it's a way of showing them that that didn't happen. That wasn't reality. Those things didn't unfold. If the Lord hadn't been on our side, then guess what would have happened? They would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. The flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. He uses a couple different imagery uh, pictures there to, to get us a sense of that, like a great beast, like a big dragon just coming in, and one gulp, consuming its prey. If God hadn't been with us, if he hadn't been on our side, we had been lunch for the dragon. Swallowed up alive in one gulp, when their anger was against us. Or, or it would have been like the, the dam breaking and the waters of the flood just overwhelming and overcoming us and sweeping us away like a torrent over us. The raging waters, just have you ever seen that, that movement of water that's pressurized and built up and then the dam breaks and their water just floods it out in fast and furious pace? It's like that's what it would have been like. God wasn't with us God wasn't for us David here is helping the community reflect on the past and he's he's reminding them of the fact the anchored fact that they had all lived out that God was with them so that the things that they did fear they were reminded they didn't happen it didn't go down that way we weren't consumed the waters didn't rush over us David saying to the people of God, hey, remember when things were really, really tough? Thought it was over for us? Remember how fearful we were? God was with us. He was there. None of the disaster happened because God showed us his grace and mercy. He delivered us from the beast. He, he rescued us from the chaos of the flood. Our worst fears were not realized. And David uses the past help them remember and to ponder the favor of God. God does love us. He delivered us from those things. He rescued us in those situations. The worst of fears mounted in the heart and mind, David says, they didn't come about. So the community is there to ponder and to sing that together, to remember that with David. Remember the Lord. Remember his grace. Remember his favor. He is on our side. He hasn't left us. And that's how we instructed here to begin living in community together for one another, we have marks in our own life of God's mercy and kindness and favor where he's protected and delivered us. Our baptism is a, a first marker for us. It's that first identifying reality of like, God has identified himself with me and I with him and he has rescued and saved me from death and Satan and sin by his blood and I am cleansed by Jesus that's that marker that God is for us is with us in a spiritual way those other maybe milestone markers down in my office uh, there I have a shadow box on one of my bookshelves that has an empty vial in it the em- in that empty vial contained an experimental drug that had never been tested on human beings it's called ZMAP And that was given to my mom and ministered to her when she was suffering in Liberia back in 2014 in the middle of the Ebola uh, outbreak there when my mom contracted it. That was given to her to help her, to heal her. I don't know if that ZMAP itself saved her or rescued her. It might have been a contributing factor. But the vial, the empty vial there in that shadow box in my office, when I look at it, I'm reminded of God's grace, that he he worked to, to bring a remedy to my mom of his providence, of, of how he delivered her. He was able to bring the right doctors around and get the medical air rescue for her to fly to Emory University in Georgia and, and be under the care of the best physicians in the world to, to handle infectious disease and to be delivered to me. Like that's just a reminder to me of that whole scenario, one of the darkest points of our lives, God was there. it's just a, it's just a milestone. It didn't go down as bad as it could have been Because the Lord was there He cared for us It's a testimony to me But we have another testimony as well Not just images or objects around our homes Or in our offices Or even our baptism We have one another here And this is the reality of the church together Young and old All of us together Sometimes the testimony that we have And that we need is each other Other people to tell us I hey, remember when it was that bad? And God did that. Do you remember when he rescued us? Do you remember when he drew near to us in our pain? Do you remember when he saved us? Like, we had these worst-case scenarios, and they didn't happen. God was there. He loves us. That's how gospel-centered community, the church, Operates together, should live together That we are here for one another To encourage each other And to, to fight our fears with one another For faith To look to God and say he is there for us We point one another to the faithfulness of God From the past So our fears in the present are subdued Brought to bear David here reminds us of who God is. It's not just some great, mighty God who's up there who just made everything, got it started, and then says, hey, I don't care. It's the Lord, the covenantal, personal name of God, Yahweh, I am. I am stood for us. I am was with us. You might ask, well, okay, that's nice, and that's great for Israel, and perhaps for you, Jeremy, but but really is God on my side? Is he really for me? And that's why we need one another to tell each other, uh, yeah, he actually is. Well, really, how do I know that? Well, he's given us objective, concrete realities, proof of his love for us. Let me just take you to a few passages to, to help equip you to remember that, or to maybe to flame into your heart faith that he is really for you. The cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest objective reality of God's favor and love for us. I mean, you know, that's the A and the Z of this whole thing. You don't need to go anywhere else, but look to the cross of Christ where you see his objective love. God so loved the world, and you're part of that, that he gave his only son. That Whoever believes in him won't perish. God will be for you, but will have eternal life. There's, I mean, objective reality or Romans 5 verse 8 But God demonstrates Where God proves He has shown his love for us in this While we were still sinners Christ died for us Note the order of that Not when you had cleaned yourself up And you had become really morally superior God decided hey oh you're good enough To be on my team now And I will love you But while we were still sinners While you were the worst of the worst Christ went to the cross to take your penalty, to take your sin. And that's a demonstration, that's a verifiable proof of God's favor or love for you, His grace. Does God love you? Yes. While you were still His enemy, while you were still a sinner, Christ showed up. And He laid down His life for you. Or I can take you to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God... Being rich in mercy. I mean, just like understand that's where his heart is. That's his character, his nature. I am, I am. God, slow to anger, abounding in mercy and steadfast love and faithfulness to generation after generation. God, being rich in mercy. But, Paul just doesn't leave it there. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Well, he loved us because we're worthy, right? We cleaned ourselves up. We, we became uh, acceptable to him. And, and we, we got in his face and we had cleaned up and we're like, yeah, now I can be on your team. We're like, no. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. When we were so unworthy, he loved us. There's, there's your objective truth. On your darkest days, the fear is the worst. We need one another to say to each other, God is for you because he has displayed his love and favor for you in Christ. He's brought all he is to bear for you. And so the scripture is true that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He won't disown you. He won't give you up. He won't let you go. I mean, you take you to a myriad of other passages. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is God for me? yep Yup. You turn from your sin and embrace Jesus by faith, you won't be put to shame, but instead, there's no condemnation for you. No judgment. He's there for you. He's ready to forgive. We're Romans 8, 31, 32. What then shall we say to all these things? All this stuff going on right now. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If we have Christ, we have all. Christ is all. We have, we have enough. We have more than enough. And this is the point of our need for community. Because I often forget that. You often forget that. We sink down into our fears and we play the worst case scenario game. And we go, this scenario is so bad that God's not with us. And we need each other to ponder the favor of God, to say to each other, hey brother, sister, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What then, God is for us, who can be against us. He didn't spare his own son, won't he freely with him also give us all things? We need one another to tell us, God is for you. And that's the reality of a spiritual community, gospel-centered community, or as I should say the church, the whole church, should do together. I quoted Dietrich Bonhoeffer last week. I'll give you the same quote again this week, where he says, "The Christ in my own heart, the Christ in the heart of one, is weaker than the Christ in the word of a brother or sister." My my understanding and my comprehension of Christ and His grace oftentimes is weakened, but yours, seeing it for me, is not. And so I need you to tell me, and you need to t- I need to tell you, Christ is strong for us. My own heart uncertain. My brother's heart, my sister's heart about Christ, it's sure. So where does this start for us? To put our fears to rest, we need to ponder the favor of God together, to tell each other of that. But second, second, the second action or activation that happens is that we as a community begin to praise God for his protection. To praise God for his protection David, now in verse six and seven, he he transitions from looking at the past and saying, yeah, the worst case scenario was there, but that didn't happen, to transitioning us to looking at the present. Okay, what are we gonna do here and now? if God delivered us then, but what about today? What about now? Notice what he says, he starts with this, verse six. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us his prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler's the snare is broken and we have escaped. He begins by praising and declaring blessing to God. The nation wasn't torn about like some apex predator devouring its prey and ripping apart the flesh of its meal. No, God protected his people, God was there for his people. They escaped. God sprung the trap that was laid for them. They, they got out of it was it was a faulty dud of a trap that broke and they, like a bird, were free and released. God does that. But where does that start for them? They, they begin to remember and to praise God for that. They get their minds and their eyes on God's grace and his power, and they say, blessed be God, or praise be God, or thanks be to God because of what he's done. What are they doing? Their eyes on him. Their focus is on him. They're reminding one another of him. Look to God. Blessed be the Lord. It's not like, hey, we were so clever To see their tricks and to escape from them. We were so smart to get out from under this ourselves. But it's like, praise to God. One of the sure things in this world is that when your eyes get off of the Lord, when your eyes get off of Christ, and you fail to worship Him and acknowledge Him for who He is, your fears will increase. They will get bigger and bigger and bigger in your heart and in your head. Think about Peter walking on the water in the midst of the storm, eyes are on Christ walking. Begins to look at the storm and the waves get high And Jesus gets little and he sinks There it is It's an axiom of truth in my own life That when my fears are the greatest My paranoia is at its deepest It's likely that my worship of God Is probably at its lowest I just haven't set my heart and my mind On his power and his love And his glory and his nature And his character and his faithfulness I need your help, you need my help To get our eye, we need each other To say, blessed be the Lord God When thanksgiving is deficient In my heart or in your heart It's likely that taking control Is happening Because we're trying to take over This is how the church brings us back To to Christ That we help fight our fears Are you worshiping God, are you seeing him for who he is The covenantal Lord, the one who says I am with you, I am for you, I'll never leave you Or forsake you that's so what we need to tell each other, look how good God is, he's delivered us. We've got nothing to fear, we've escaped. One of the ways that I practice this, that we practice this with our staff here at our campus is in our weekly staff meetings on Wednesday mornings, the second thing we do, we spend some time in the word, and just connecting our hearts with the Lord, but the second thing we do in our meetings is we share evidences of grace. And that those evidences of grace, or we're just asking a question, where have you seen God at work in your life, in your ministry? Just in the community, and what you've observed in the church in the last week, where have you seen God show up, and you've seen His grace at work? We we do that to remind ourselves that He's still at work, He's still present, He's still here, and we don't just do it when the things are great, you know. And things at Woodside are awesome, We're like oh look at how great God is, but even in the tough times, especially in the tough times, we need those evidences of grace. Perhaps if you meet with your life group, and I would encourage you to that, you should start your gatherings with where have we see God at work? What are evidences of grace that we've seen in his life? Gospel-centered community, the church helps us do that. We recount things together like the four Gs, that God is great, so we don't have to be in control. That God is glorious, and we don't have to fear others. That God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere for provision. That God is gracious. We don't have to prove ourselves to others. We need... Community to help us ponder and to, to pursue and put our hearts on the fact to praise God. Look how great He is. Worship Him. Devote yourself to Him. Trust Him. Give Him thanks. You need to encourage me in that. And I hope to encourage you in that. But that's how the church activates this sense of putting to rest the fears that we have. It takes us to a third thing. And that is that we would put our trust in God. Church built for more out beyond the walls of this building on the uh, on just on the week we're helping one another put our trust in God. Notice how David takes it. that's the third thing, kids, on the sheet. Put your trust in God. Notice how David concludes this psalm. He looks at the past and says it could have gone really bad, but God is on our side, so it didn't. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fear. And in the present now, remember God's delivered us so today we can praise him and worship him and lift our lives to him. But what about the future? What about what we can't see coming down the road? David says, our help is in the name of the Lord, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. There David just plants a firm flag for us about the future. And he's he's not saying he's got it figured out. I mean, David doesn't say, well, here's the roadmap of the next 10 years for the nation of Israel and what it's going to look like. He doesn't see or know whether it's going to be great or bad or good or harmful. He doesn't know if it's for better or worse. He didn't have any of that sense. But he knows who God is. And he just anchors the flag and he says, from here on out, our help is in the name of the Lord. Yahweh, I am who I am, is here for us. He is with us, the God who made heaven and earth. And he's not going anywhere. He loves us. He's with us. What do we do when there is trouble on the horizon or when we think about the future? Sometimes that's where our fears get the worst because we don't know how it'll go down the road. And our worst-case scenario situations flare up because we are not in control. We don't know how it's going to work out. What do we do we're anchored on the reality of who god is and we put our trust in him we're reminded of that and we tell one another of that together to put our trust in god david here reminds us again of who god is he is the lord but more so than just the lord the the, the one who's made heaven and earth or he is the one who's made heaven and earth yahweh the great i am he has created all things so many times what? Drives our deepest fears and creates the worst-case scenarios in our hearts and our minds are the things of this world. They are the, the created realities around us. They're the things on earth. And we don't know what to do with them. We don't know how to control them. The beginning of this year, January, second Sunday of January, I preached a five year anniversary service uh, for us from Ephesians chapter 1, and it's Paul's prayer there. And the second point I made about that was that that we are to look at the the power of the resurrection, that we desire the power of the resurrection among us. When I talk about the fact that we don't know what's coming down the road here, it could get really hard. There could be suffering and hardship because before we experience the power of the resurrection, we have to understand. Christ went to the cross and we have to take up our cross and so the valleys may be deep in my mind I knew that Kelly Habrilla was about to go home to be with the Lord and I thought that might be the most like that was the most painful thing that could happen and it was painful but I had no idea that the rest of this year was going to unfold the way it has but our anchor is still there the God who made heaven and earth hasn't left his throne he's in control He is fully aware of all these things. And he hasn't abandoned us. He has all dominion and power and glory over all created things forever and ever. So if I worry about pandemic or the economy or politics or, or any other thing, what's happening around the world or in our church, I've got to remember, we've got to remember, the Lord is with us. Our help is him. Our help is in his name. That's a communal work that we have to do together. Notice here, it's not my help, is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth and saved me. It's our help. And this psalm is completely communal. If the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been swept away. We have escaped, though, because our help is in the name of the Lord. And that's what we must do together. We must open the word and reinforce each other's hearts with passages from the word. Like we would take each other to Hebrews 13, five, and we, we say, brother, sister, remember the scriptures here. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? I have God. What can man do to me? We, we need to take each other to the truth of God's word and his grace, to be in the same corner for each other to build up faith. And have big love for one another. We need to commit to one another and obey the Lord by encouraging one another. And all the more, Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. Not neglecting to meet each other. Not neglecting to meet together. This is a habit of some. But encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. I mean, that's what we do. We, we say, I love you. Let's put our hope in God. I'm there with you. We're for one another. Let's build each other up. Let's trust God together. Let's put our faith in him. That's how we weather the unknown of the future. We can't see it coming. We don't know how it'll work out. That's how we weather it well. By looking together, pointing to one another, to fix our eyes on Jesus together. To say, he's there, he's with us. So let me ask you: Who is your help? I mean, who are you looking to to save you, to help you in the future? I mean, it, are you banking on who you'll vote on or vote for in November? Are you banking on a political party? Are you banking on the cleverness of this world or strategy or anything like that? Who is your help? We need one another. Church is built to tell one another, look to Christ. He's our help. He's the sovereign, gracious God who made heaven. Eugene Peterson puts it like this, and I'll close. We speak our words of praise in a world that is hellish. We sing our songs of victory in a world where things get messy. We live our joy among people who neither understand nor encourage us. But the content of our lives is God, not humanity. We're not scavenging in the dark alleys of the world, poking around in its garbage for a bare subsistence. We are traveling in the light towards God, who is rich in mercy and strong to save. It's Christ, not culture, that defines our lives. It's the help we experience, not the hazards we risk, that shapes our days. May that help that we experience be a community of the church together. Saying, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's say and sing together. If it hadn't been the Lord who was on our side, we'd be wiped out. But he was. And he freed us and he rescued us. So put your hope and trust in him. Who, are you, who do you know that's locked in fear? You need to engage with the good news of God's grace. I encourage you to take a practical action step of writing them or calling them and encouraging them this week. Say, hey, God is with you. Is for you. And let me ask another action step or put one before you to say if you're not fully engaged in relationships in the church, perhaps through a life group that's feeding your faith, not your fears, I want to encourage you to take that step to get connected to the church, become a member here, get connected to a life group. Pastor Mike would love to help you in that. But dive in. Be for one another, be for us together. And we'll see the grace of God in us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. It's so true that if you had not been on our side, and we could all say it together, if you had not been on our side, we'd be wiped out. But there you are, full of love and grace and mercy. You haven't abandoned us. You haven't left us. You're still just as present, even more so now with us in our pain our worry, and our fear than ever before. So God, build our faith in you. Jesus, help our eyes be fixed on you. We give you thanks that you love us. Build our faith. Let's trust you more and more because you are in control of all things. We thank you and we praise this. We praise you and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together.